2: Plain Talk, Unrivaled Talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense in search of the perfect debate. The
3: independent republic of
2: Mike Graham. On the app, on your smart speaker, talk
4: radio and talk TV.
5: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV, the place to be for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's a bit of a gloomy day out there today. Uh, it's a Thursday. Uh, we are getting near the end of August, believe it or not. We're almost in September. Uh, there's an awful lot to talk about. We've got, of course, uh, the Trump debate uh, that Trump didn't take part in last night. We've got uh, the death, we believe, uh, of the main protagonist, uh, the leader of the Wagner Group, uh, chief, of course, of uh, all of the op- options, the operations that were supposed to supposedly being run uh, in Ukraine by Vladimir Putin, Yevgeny Prigozhin uh, finds himself um, uh, supposedly dead, having been blown up, shot down in a plane uh, yesterday afternoon, early part of the evening. We'll bring you that. The latest, though, uh, story that was broken just before we started this show is the one we're going to start off with, because it is an extraordinary story. New figures from the Home Office tell a terrible tale of exactly how bad the immigration situation is in this country. It's not simply that people are coming here on boats illegally. It's not simply that the numbers of people now waiting uh, for an actual uh, asylum processing plant to get to them is now gone up to 176,000. It is this. There were 3,287,404 visas granted So people coming into this country for a variety of reasons, some of them are work visas, some of them uh, are probably tourist visas, some of them are, of course, student visas as well. Uh, But to the year ending June 2023, that number is up by 58%. There were 321,000 grants to main applicants on work visas. 20,000 people uh, entered a- immigration detention in that year. The story of immigration in this country is a worse and worse story. The more you look into it, the worse it looks and the worse the government looks because they have clearly no clue as to what is going on uh, in this country. It is incredible that how badly the Home Office have let this basically disappear down a plug hole. Nobody seems to know what's going on. We're going to talk to Isabel Oakshot Talk TV's international editor to kick things off, uh, because clearly uh, there is no way to stop the boats coming as far as the government is concerned. Nobody knows where to put all the people that are coming, and nobody knows how many of the people applying for visas are actually staying. It's almost as though this country is bereft of people, almost as though we don't have any war, anybody actually living here, almost as if people are coming here just because they fancy it, and we can just keep putting them up and we can just keep finding houses for them even though we don't have enough houses. This is quite frankly the biggest scandal, I think, uh, of this decade so far. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We know that you will always want to talk to us about this. There is a doctor strike going on as well. Another disgrace. We've actually got some numbers on dental treatment as well. Uh, that's down, of course, by a couple of million uh, since the pandemic, because now you can't get an NHS dentist. We'll talk about that, of course, as well. Lots going on. Loads to talk about. Uh, let's get it on. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. A very good morning to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. So here we are, this little island uh, off the coast um, of Europe in the North Atlantic, because that's pretty much where we are, separated by the English Channel. Um, We appear to be one of the most heavily populated countries in Europe. I think we might be the most heavily populated country in Europe. But you wouldn't know that from the immigration statistics. 3.287 million visas granted in the year ending June 2023. Up 58% on the year before. I'm not even sure what they're all doing here. Isabel Oakeshott is here, Talk TV's international editor. Isabel, these are shocking numbers, aren't they?
6: Oh, They really are, Mike. Good morning. And these statistics, official government figures come out quarterly. They came out at half past nine this morning so neither you nor i have had time to digest them fully Mm. Um, and that three million plus figure that you mentioned does include people who've come over here from countries uh, for which you need a visa just to come here for a holiday Uh, so i i want to highlight the number of work visas that have been granted because no one can say that's people coming over just for a holiday and then they're going to go again. Um, So the number of work visas has gone up year on year by 63% to well over half a million. Meanwhile, the number of study visas has gone up by 34%. So over a third to 657,000. Uh, And then we've also got the family visas. So this is people who've come over, may very well have gained um, asylum seeker status, they've gained the right to remain, and then they bring their families over. And those family visa numbers have doubled. So this is absolutely shocking. It is a complete betrayal of what people voted for when they voted for Brexit, they thought we were taking back control of our borders. They thought that the government would introduce a measured and sensible immigration system because they then had the power to control numbers. And that's the exact opposite Mm. of what has happened. It is effectively an open borders system. And the reason this is so utterly appalling for many of the lowest paid people, the most struggling communities in our country is that it is depressing wages. It is increasing demand for housing. We already have a housing crisis and it is keeping people within the benefit system who should be out working for a living themselves. That is not in their own interest. We have one in eight working people of working age in this country are on benefits. We don't need extra workers, we need our own people to earn a living and make good lives for themselves.
5: Yeah. Also, does this not rather give the lie to those who say, oh, well, the reason we don't have enough workers in this country is because everybody left after Brexit? Well, if there's more than half a million people being given work visas to come into this country, wherever they're coming from, that's more than half a million people. You know, we already know loads of EU citizens decided to settle here after Brexit. So it's absolute rubbish to say that we don't have enough foreign workers and we need to import them all because we already are.
6: A hundred percent. I mean, it's always been rubbish. I mean, we've imported well over a million people um, since Brexit, way more than that, in fact. So no one, in fact, we've imported far more people since Brexit than we did before Brexit wow. on a annual basis. So no one can say we need to be importing all these people to fill jobs, which actually are not, in many cases, uh, particularly highly skilled. You know, we're, we're importing people to fill jobs like carers. There's talk of filling jobs like baristas. Mm. I mean, for pity's sake, if we can't in Britain produce people who can man a coffee stall, yeah. then basically we might as well just pack up and realise that we are destined to be a complete legacy country, which cannot compete in a global um, situation with countries that are ambitious, that are growing fast and where people have a very high incentive To get off their backsides and work and build lives for themselves.
5: Exactly right. And the thing that uh, you pointed out earlier on as well is the study visas problem, because in that figure of 657,000, up 34%, as you said, it includes dependents. And I've always asked the question, you know. When people go and study somewhere, why do they need to bring dependents? You know, I went to university. I didn't take any dependents with me. You know, I know people that went to university abroad. They didn't take dependents with them. What's this racket where you have to turn up and go, well, of course, I'm studying in Britain. But, you know, here's my mother. uh, Here's my son. Here's my cousin. I mean, who are they bringing with them and why?
6: Absolute racket. That's the word you used. I know a bit about this. I've seen how it works from the inside. There are still numerous colleges uh, where they offer actually generally quite expensive courses to people from overseas. Um, And if you sign up to one of those courses, you pretty much automatically get a visa to come here. But here's the thing, you only need to pay the deposit, Mm. which is a fraction of the fee, to get the visa. And then you don't actually need to turn up for the course. And as you say, I mean, which of us brought our parents along when we went to university which brought our little brothers and sisters it isn't a thing it shouldn't be a thing the only case in which i think it might be justified is for example if you've got you know one of our best universities bringing over some eminent academic who's there for a you know a, a special fellowship for a year or something well then of course that academic might want to bring a spouse and their children but we all know that that's probably a fraction of 1% of the cases, right. the vast majority are just chances. And, you know, it, it gives a cover, doesn't it, um, to those who think that we should have hmm. an open borders policy. Say, Oh, this is great for our country. They bring in so much money, they're coming to study. I'm sorry, a lot of them are not coming to study they have no intention of doing and
5: the figures show that almost a quarter of sponsored study related visas were granted to dependents 24 percent so you know you've already got one in four of the people getting those visas actually coming here to be a drain on the state and i'm sorry to put it that way but that's what they are unless they're coming to work uh, which i very much doubt you know it will not be a positive into the economy will it
6: Absolutely not. And the other thing to look at in these figures is the number of detentions. So they are down 16% year on year. That's not what you'd hope for, is it? Um, And the number of returns, 4,000, a little over 4,000, well, 72% of those returns were actual criminals. Um, So in order to be forced out of this country, you basically have to commit some kind of quite serious crime. Just overstaying your visa isn't enough for you to be forced out. We can see that because of the mismatched Mm -hmm. number of uh, figures who are overstaying and actually anyone who's being sent back from whence they came. Yes. I think this is, you described it as the biggest scandal of the last 10 years, the biggest political scandal. Um, It's hard to compete Mm. with total catastrophe of the handling of COVID. Uh, But if we set that aside... Um, I totally agree with you. It is a huge betrayal.
5: It really is. And I I appreciate what you said at the top, that 3.287 million visas granted could include, obviously, there's a couple of million holiday visas in there, very possibly. But who can say how many of those people have just overstayed their welcome? Everybody knows that one of the ways to get into a country, uh, if you're not coming as a student or you're not getting a work permit, uh, is you come on holiday and you just don't leave.
6: Yeah, and I just don't think that there's any, uh, you know, there's any follow up in, in so many of these cases. You know, we don't even have the resources to process actual asylum cases. We've seen that in the backlog. Mm. And, uh, you know, the expose that Richard Tice did last weekend of the whole way these cases are handled by the case workers who are essentially told, you know, start from a position of nicey-nicey, we want to enable you to stay here. That I'm paraphrasing but essentially what they actually say really is you must not start from a position of scepticism about these cases which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Sure. You should stop if you're interviewing an asylum seeker from a position of scepticism and you should certainly take the view that if they lie, that's a disqualification mm. but yeah. the guidance doesn't say
5: that. Well, funnily enough, you know, if you lie in a court of law, you go to prison for perjury. But if you want to lie to get into the country to live here for the rest of your life, uh, very, living very nicely, thank you very much indeed, uh, that's just fine. Unbelievable. Absolutely incredible. Um, we're going to do lots more on this, um, Isabel. We're going to take a short break. Isabel Okshocks with will talk to you International Editor. Uh, we will expand on all of these figures as we go through the show. Uh, we're going to talk to Stephen Wolf coming up a little bit later on. We'll take your calls on it as well. It is an extraordinary set of figures, an incredible situation that the government has completely lost its grip on. Uh, we are now basically... A free country to come and live in, to come and move to. Uh, you can get here anywhere you like. Come on a dinghy, fly on a plane, get yourself a visa, uh, bring your uh, cousin twice removed uh, and just set up home somewhere because you can. Incredible. This is Talk TV.
4: On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
5: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We will bring you more detail as we get it, of course, on these immigration figures from the Home Office, which are startling and quite shocking in many ways. Isabel Oakeshott's already done a very good job of explaining some of them to us, and we'll get into more of them, into the meat of it uh, as we go through the show and as we go through the day here at Talk TV. Isabel, I must talk to you about uh, what happened overnight um, over in Russia, where uh, Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin is said to have died in a fatal plane crash um apparently there's not too many people mourning uh, his demise um but an extraordinary tale um the front page of the sun calls it putin's revenge um i don't suppose anybody would be surprised if it turns out that he has been killed uh, what's your take on it
6: My take on it is that we still don't know an awful lot about the circumstances surrounding this. And there are a few things that I find curious and that don't quite stack up to me. Why was he anywhere near Moscow, this guy, who obviously had a great big target on his back from the moment he turned against Putin a couple of months ago? Um, It all seems a little bit too um, convenient to me some way. So I I don't want to sound conspiracy theorist about this. I'm just saying that this is early days, and that there are a few unanswered questions, to say the least. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's all very uh, handy for Mm. President Putin to suggest this has happened. Uh, But this guy was not a stupid guy. Um, So it seems a bit odd that he let himself get into this position. Uh, That said, um, I mean, I don't think any of us really expected him to last very long, wherever in the world he was, after his attempted coup against the president. Uh, And how does it leave things? Well, um, some will argue within Russia, Putin's uh, power may be a little bit reinforced by it, you know, in terms of the domestic audience, they see, you know, the sign of a strong man who doesn't let his enemies survive um but it's also desperate stuff isn't it and it doesn't change the fundamentals which is that he's not winning the war in ukraine it drags on and more and more ordinary russian soldiers are dying
5: yes i mean the trouble is as well with with the way that modern propaganda works Whenever anything like this happens, you're quite right to question it. You're quite right to wonder whether it is all a bit too convenient. You know, people certainly, John Sweeney was talking uh, talking about his friends in Ukraine that he was speaking to last night, but some of them saying, well, he's already away. He's already gone. Uh, He's already somewhere else. Maybe Argentina. You never really know what the truth is in these stories, do you?
6: You don't, and maybe we never will. I just somehow it just doesn't quite feel right to me, this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't examined it, I haven't talked to many analysts, and it is really, really early days. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if more comes out about this that sheds a rather different complexion on it. Um, I do think that this man's life was quite extraordinary. It is the stuff of movies, isn't it? I mean, what an amazing film yeah. it would make. Um, you know, terribly dark and sinister character who's wrought an awful lot of evil um, in his time on Earth. But nonetheless, you know, what a drama.
5: Absolutely. Uh, we've got yet another Doctor's Strike consultants this time who are supposedly reluctantly going out for two more days, pushing the uh, number of procedures cancelled to probably around about a million. You've got a piece in The Telegraph uh, this week or just the other day uh, saying that the NHS has basically become a festering wound on the face of our nation. I can't say I disagree with you. Uh, We've got dental figures out today as well, which we're going to look into, but which basically are saying that fewer people are now being treated by the NHS in dental care than ever. Um, There's a massive problem here, isn't there?
6: There really is. And the figures, the headline figures on the waiting list at 7.6 million, which are utterly appalling. And each of those figures is a is a sorry story for a patient. They don't tell the full story uh, because so many people are struggling to get on the waiting yeah. list. There's a whole process to get there. And my article was really about the problems with so-called primary care. So GP services and all of our viewers and listeners uh, will have their own stories to tell about just how difficult it is to get a GP appointment. And then if you're lucky enough to get an appointment, does that GP have any idea who you are? Have they built any uh, kind of relationship professional with you over a course of years where they know about your medical history or are they yet just another locum another fill-in you know just ticking a box you've got 10 minutes and in some surgeries you're only allowed to raise one problem yeah as if, as if health works in that way I mean what a ludicrous way to approach a consultation by saying one problem one appointment How do you know? All sorts of things are connected. You've got to mention several things often to get the full um, best chance of a proper diagnosis. So I think unless we can, unless and until we magic up thousands more GPs, uh, we may have to find a system for bypassing GPs in terms of your gateway into an appointment with a specialist.
5: And it seems to me that the things that are being suggested at the moment, and they may work, are generally kind of self-help program so that you know diagnose yourself get yourself a, uh, a blood pressure measurement uh, make sure you've got all sorts of things to measure yourself you know you take your own temperature you know measure your own uh, inside leg measurement you know it's almost like you don't need doctors anymore you can just fix yourself up if you need to do a, an emergency appendectomy on yourself you know go and buy a kit from curries and you can probably help yourself it's mad you know we've put 200 billion quid into this thing every year and it doesn't work you know, in any other world, you'd literally put a load of dynamite under it and blow it up and start again.
6: You absolutely, you absolutely would. And um, the terrifying thing is that you, you can't even necessarily buy your way out of this problem, even if you get together your life savings and try to um, fast track in some way by going private. And people should not have to do that, no. by the way. It's not like they haven't paid enough tax. Um, the private provision is very hollowed out at the moment because we quite simply have across the board a desperate shortage of healthcare professionals Mm. Um, and that is an argument actually for paying our doctors and nurses better but with strings attached you know you're not if you are going to be given a lot more money then you ought to have a minimum level of commitment to the nhs and so on um, so, yes, pay them more um, because we've got to compete in the global market for healthcare professionals. Uh, but let's make sure that there are strings attached to that.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you'll be pleased to know that on today's date, um, when the when the consultants are out on strike, they will have permission to work in the private sector. So while being on strike from the NHS, they can still be making bucket loads of money, which is, I think, shocking. Um, final word, Isabel, on Trump. Last night, there was a Fox debate. Uh, held in milwaukee i think it was Uh, trump didn't turn up he thinks they're all also rans. some of them seem confused about whether they like him or don't like him um he is Mm -hmm. probably going to get the nomination isn't he whether he wins is another matter
6: so i haven't watched the full debate but i'm going to and fascinating when they were all the lineup were asked you know if trump um is actually convicted of all these many things that he's charged with would you still support Mm. him it was so interesting. Look at, I'd ask our viewers and listeners, look at the clip and see how each of the candidates responded. The one Vivek, who supposedly came out top of last night's debate, yeah. put his hand up straight away. The others, they took a little bit of time, you know, and they did it in, in a sequence. Yeah. So, I mean, really a, a moment in that debate.
5: Yes, I think well worth watching. Very good. Thank you very much indeed. Isabel Oakeshott, Talk TV's international editor there, uh, with her take initially on the dreadful situation regarding the new Home Office figures out just this morning. only been out half an hour. Uh, We're pouring over them at the moment, making sure that we get every single ounce of detail out of them that we can for you. But it paints a pretty bleak picture of the state of our nation. It basically shows you that you can get here by hook or by crook or by dinghy or by student visa or by work visa or by being somebody related to somebody on a work visa or on a dinghy. I mean, just take your pick and come here at will. And stay Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It is a very gloomy morning out there. But if you're waiting for your GCSE results and you're a parent of somebody waiting, uh, you might have them by now. Hopefully uh, you've got what you wanted. We're told that the numbers uh, of higher grades are going to be down on last year. And that's, of course, partially because of the way that they were overly inflated and sort of artificially inflated as a result of the Covid years. Um, But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. And we will talk about, of course, more on the Trump debates from last night and more uh, on the situation in Russia uh, where we believe uh, and we are told basically uh, that the man who ran the Wagner group, Mr. Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin, has been killed. A plane shot down uh, believed to be by Putin, or certainly by Putin's allies, uh, late yesterday. We'll bring you more on that, of course, as well. The other big story today, there's so many big stories breaking all around us, even as we speak, uh, is that we are now being given the dental figures uh, for the year, because basically what we know is that most people will tell you, you can't get an NHS dentist. Some people have been taken off NHS dental lists. Uh, It's been, as some would describe it, a bit of a kick in the teeth, and dental treatments are actually down 5.9 million on pre-pandemic levels and that tells you that one uh, there are not enough dental treatments being done on the NHS but two possibly there maybe aren't enough dentists let's talk to Nick Ellaby Talk TV's correspondent who's live uh, from Sharrow Dental in Chelmsford Nick a very good morning to you welcome
3: good morning Mike
5: Thanks very much indeed for joining us. You're there um, as a uh, a presumably honoured guest inside an NHS dental um, surgery. I've I've Um, just
3: lost you, Mike. I hope you can hear me, but uh, as you can see, the dental figures for England revealed this morning that 5.9 million fewer adults are having treatment on the NHS. Adults being seen are down 2.6 million on pre-pandemic levels. And also there are fewer and fewer NHS dentists at the moment. That's down 533. The NHS has actually lost 533 dentists in total since before the pandemic. This is a long-term issue, and it seems to be getting worse. Millions of people are struggling to find NHS appointments. And the areas of the country are known as dental deserts. Usually these are rural areas, the worst affected places like Bolsover in Derbyshire, neighbouring Ashfield in Nottinghamshire, and also near here in mid-Suffolk, um, also found this week that in the county of Norfolk it's impossible to get an appointment with an NHS de- dentist at the moment. I'm at a practice in Chelmsford, it's called Sharrow Dental, it's run by Dr Tony Clough who's behind me here. Uh, he's also the head of uh, Essex Dental Committee. Tony, why are so many NHS dentists leaving and how do we fix this issue?
1: Well, it's, it's really the way we work and it's to do with the Uh, 2006 contract um, which doesn't reward dentists um, in the way that they'd like to be rewarded so this isn't about greedy dentists wanting to earn more money it's actually about people who realise during the pandemic that there are different ways of working Uh, it's almost impossible to get a dentist to work five days a week now they don't want to chase targets the young dentists in particular actually have more or less decided that they'll work in the NHS for a year or two After a year or two, they want to be going to work in private practices. So we've got to think about the way we actually remunerate dentists. Now, one of the ideas has been that we should, rather than actually pay dentists under the current contract for the work they do, we should actually pay them on a sessional basis. So that if they actually give so many sessions a week to the NHS, we're paid on a sessional basis. In that way, we can do the best dentistry that we can. We can spend all the time when we get a high-needs patient instead of having to rush them out of the surgery because it doesn't pay. So these are the ways that we we need to actually look at it. We also need to look at recruitment because, as you quite rightly mentioned, we're down on recruitment. We need to actually recruit more dentists. More importantly, we need to retain them within the NHS. So we need to make working in the NHS more attractive.
3: Well, the health health and social care committee report in july called this situation totally unacceptable in the 21st century they're calling for urgent reform to fix these problems rishi sunak did say he put more dentists in the system but the nhs's own data released this morning looks to that's actually not happening so he's being asked to uh, do something very very quickly to restore the nation's smiles
5: Great stuff, Nick. Thanks very much indeed. Nick Ellaby reporting into us live from a uh, dental uh, surgery in Chelmsford, Chiro Dental, with Tony Clough, uh, the clinical director. Um, now, of course, uh, we're going to talk to Eddie Crouch, who's a dentist. He's chairman of the British Dentistry Association. Very good morning to you, Eddie. We're told um, there from Tony Clough, who should probably know what he's talking about, uh, that it's the deal from 2006 that is the problem. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah,
2: and and two health select committees since 2006 have said that the contract isn't fit for purpose, the latest being about a week before Parliament rose. Uh, that, that report, if it's not followed, sadly, I think that these figures, as bad as they are today, will get much worse. Uh,
5: I mean, it seems a long time ago, you know, there'll be people listening to this going, hang on a minute, pouncing on my fingers, 2006, you know, you're talking 17 years ago. How has it not been fixed?
2: Uh, well, uh, uh, lack of lack of urgency from the government, and we continue to see lack of urgency from the government. Yeah, but that's lack evidence. of urgency.
5: For, I mean, I don't know how many governments you want to count, but there's about five or six in my in my reckoning. There, six <laughs> governments have d- d- done nothing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I met the the, the health minister. With the, I've met five in two and a half years. Right, uh, they 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 go around quicker than uh, um, than than anything. Yeah. But um, uh, the the, the health minister met me in, in May. He told me that there was going to be an NHS uh, dental recovery plan issued by the end of June. Uh, and here we are at the end of August and we're still no, no, no closer to seeing that actually published.
5: Yeah. And so, I mean, is there a quick fix for this or is it something that some somebody's going to have to get down and dirty uh, either with the government or with the, uh, the, the the dentists themselves You know, because this is not acceptable. I don't think people uh, should be treated like this. I mean, I know people who have said to me uh, that their kids have reached the age of 18 and they've suddenly been removed from a dental list because they're no longer children. And children obviously do get priority and that's fair enough. But, you know, there's a lot of people in this country uh, who are now actually resorted to pulling out their own teeth. We're going to talk to one uh, coming up in a, sh- in a very short while you know, that's not acceptable. I mean, we're supposed to be a modern, you know, forward thinking, you know, brimming with future pride economy. You know, it's mad, isn't
2: it? Absolutely. Uh, and, it, uh, you know, the frustrating thing about it is it's, it's really only the dentists that seem to be bothered about preserving the NHS dental service. Um, you know, we hear from platitudes, really, from ministers mm. that everything is improving. We heard from the prime minister in about five or six different Prime Minister's questions where he said everything was getting better, but clearly these stats don't show that and unless actually there is some urgency and work alongside the British Dental Association to get that urgent reform that we need, uh, then sadly I think the stories that we hear will become so numerous that it just won't be news anymore because I met a lady at the Health Select Committee who'd taken 13 of her own teeth out. The Health Select Committee thought that that was completely unacceptable. Suddenly, at the moment, we have ministers that believe it is acceptable.
5: Yeah. I mean, I find that extraordinary. Well, so what's, I mean, if you could, in one sentence, sum up what needs to be done, what needs to be
2: done? Well, we, we only ever commissioned enough dentistry for half the population. Uh, the ministers tell us that there's no more money for NHS dentistry. So therefore, we have to utilise what they are prepared to spend in an effective way. And if that means prioritising certain parts of the population, then I think that's what we have to do.
5: Yeah. Well, I think you may have to find yourself some kind of way out of this because we can't go another 17 years. It'll be absolutely ludicrous. Uh, but listen, thank you very much indeed. Eddie Crouch there, uh, the dentist and chairman of the British Dentistry Association. Here's from John in Chingford. I found out last week that my dentist took me off their NHS list. The checkup is now going to cost me 85 quid, and that's without any work being done. Rip off Britain. Well, exactly. the trouble is, right, and here's here's my fear, is that actually there will be so many people now leaving the NHS, not through their own choice, but because they're being kicked out of it effectively, despite paying into it for an awful lot of their working lives. They'll be going private, which will put extra pressure now on the private sector. And the private sector will then start having delays and having problems because it's not designed to take as many people as it's being forced to take. It's absolutely ludicrous. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk to Paul Puccioni, who took out one of his own teeth. With a pair of pliers. I kid you not. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Home of Common Sense. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Um, What a day. I mean, we've got breaking stories all over the place. We're about to tell you a story, the like of which you have probably never heard. uh, Because the news this morning, the number of NHS dental treatments is down 5.9 million on pre-pandemic levels, tells you all you need to know. And you read stories in newspapers and you hear stories, I know, no doubt, down the pub of people who are pulling their own teeth out because they literally can't get to see a dentist. We are now going to introduce you to a man who has done precisely that. Uh, he is Paul Puccioni. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a promoter. Uh, he's a producer. Uh, he's a man of many talents. Um, and he can even actually do his own DIY dentistry. Paul Pooch, a very good morning to you.
7: Hey Mike, how are you doing? Sorry about the hard hat and the high vis. I'm I'm an event at Excel London, so uh, just taking time out to uh, to chat to you.
5: Yeah, now I've got a great picture that we're going to throw up at some point. You sent us yesterday, a view with a pig periscope. Of... I remember you telling me this story. I've, I think I'm right in saying it happened during the the lockdown, didn't it?
7: Yeah, um, I I got this persistent toothache. I mean, it it was nagging me and following me around. It was. I was beside myself and I was trying to get a, an appointment with a dentist. There it is. And just, there, there we go. That's, I remember it well. <laughs>
5: that looks very uh, painful. I don't know. <laughs> we'll come back well, to I'll the supplies.
7: I'll talk you through it. So, um, yeah, and I just couldn't get an appointment for love nor money. Uh, my wife had got an appointment, but it, she had to go through the whole rigmarole right. of wearing a mask into reception and then blah, blah, and then taking the mask off whilst the dentist is treating her. So, you know, anyway, yeah. I couldn't be de- dealing with all that. And then one night... My wife and daughter watching Love Island, my son's upstairs, and I, I'd had enough of this tooth, so um, <laughs> I cracked open the rum, um, right. as as Nelson's surgeon may have done, yeah. I got myself a pair of mole grips, I was going to use pliers, but I thought, as I'm pulling really hard, and pulling out, I could crush my tooth, and I right. didn't want to do that. And which tooth, so was it at the back,
5: or which tooth? A molar, it?
7: Yeah. It, yeah, right at the back, it was a, it was a wisdom tooth, right. right at the very back, Yeah. and it was a little bit loose, but, but it was really pesky, and it was annoying yeah. me, so... Um, I wrapped the the um, mole grips in um, electrical tape, right. just for really cushioning. <laughs> worked out the width, got it just right, and then thought, right, I'm going for it. And I just started wiggling and wiggling, yeah. and I heard a little crack, and I thought, oh, yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound. But I took it out, took another tot of rum, and then went back in, and suddenly this thing came out. I mean, it, it was just so wow. satisfying. I was elated. Wow! I ran and, into the sitting room, and, and was uh, yeah. sort
5: of blood gushing out your mouth or anything?
7: Yeah, there was a bit of blood, not too much. Right. Um, to be honest, I was so happy I didn't really care. Mm. Um, but I, I had some—I got some um, warm water and, and salt. Yeah, swirled that around, um, had another tot of rum, and that was it, really.
5: And Amazing history. Amazing. Yeah. And have you still but got it the would, tooth? It, did you keep? Did you keep it as a souvenir?
7: Yeah, it's a little bottle pickled right. in some, in some vodka. <laughs> so, so if ever um, in the future my kids want to grow a, a, like a version of me from yes. my DNA, they've got that. They've but, got um, that. But it, I mean, yeah, the thing well, is, too, I well, mean, when
5: you, I remember you telling me the story, and and nowadays, of course, we read about it quite a lot because people literally—I mean—we're now looking at you know the number of people who are not getting treated is prodigious, nearly six million people, or sorry, six million treatments down pre-pandemic levels. So you've got to be talking about a couple of million people who are just not able to see a dentist.
7: I can believe it, Mike. I mean, uh, two two things really, actually. Firstly, yes, you couldn't get an appointment, and you know people are pulling their hair out. Oh well, I was literally pulling my teeth out. But also, I think nowadays, I think the cost of it is... Oh, that might be... The cost of it is just so expensive. Yeah. And I reckon that would have cost me 350 quid. So, um, next day, uh, I just took the wife and kids out to the Ivy. And we had a nice time and celebrated.
5: <laughs> I mean, you probably have to just have soup, though, did you?
7: <laughs> yeah, just... I <no>, love <laughs> uh, the minestrone. No, yeah, exactly. But no, all good. But, yeah, real life... True, sorry, true podcast. True story about... Uh, Having to take matters into my own hands, and, right. and when I when I was ringing the, the dentist, I was telling them I was in so much pain, and they 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 just didn't seem that bothered. Uh, oh, we can give you an appointment in three months. Well, I I, could, I literally could yeah. not operate. My yeah. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't do anything, I couldn't sleep, I was beside myself, yeah. so literally uh, the pain drove me to it. Amazing,
5: amazing story. Anyway, listen, I'll see you next week, looking forward to it, Pooch, uh, Paul Puccioni, uh amazing character, incredible guy, took his own tooth out, uh, just with a little bit of rum, and um, not pliers, uh, some other device or other, but listen, um, there's a lot of it about, there's a lot of it going on. Let's talk to Jeff, who's in Andover. Hi Jeff. Hello there, Mike, how are you doing? Very well, sir, what can I do for you?
4: Well, first of all, great programme, love it, and uh, etc. I think that uh, this is the Churchill moment for the Prime Minister, where he should, on immigration, put a state of emergency in place where we raise everything up to a wartime level, if such, because we've never been invaded this much since 1066, in my eyes. No. But but we've got to do something radical, we've got to do it fast, because the people are losing faith with, not only the government, but both parties, because... You've got flip-flop Labour and you've got the government in, in, in who's got this legal problem all the way around everywhere yeah. and then nobody supports them as a united front against it. Yes, it all started in 2010, but it's just wrapped up and we've accepted it as a norm. we yeah. have got to change that norm into something totally radical. What I, And I would I, what I would suggest is a, is a state of emergency, but also the talk TV to put forward, because a, a, it's a people's channel, yeah to put forward a petition to the government, hopefully supported by some of the mainstream newspapers, to to put in place a state of emergency to stop this problem of immigration that we're just a free shop for everybody
5: yeah. to pop in. And it's pop ridiculous, out isn't it? It's, I mean, if you didn't know it was already at ridiculous proportions, now you do know that it is. Jeff, I appreciate your call. Thank you very much indeed. We're going to come to Michelle um, in London in a moment. Uh, how about this, though? Friends in Essex go to Turkey, says Sandy, for dental treatment. Not veneers, just normal fillings. As even with flights and hotels, it's comparable to going to a private dentist here and they combine it with a nice break in the sunshine. It is incredible, isn't it? Just before I talk to Michelle, Let me talk to you about doctors, right? Because once again, we find ourselves today waking up to yet another doctor's strike. Now we've had the junior doctor's strike and we've had the Royal College of Nurses strike. We've now got the consultants on strike. Now, as you've probably heard, until we're blue in the face, these are people who make, at the beginning of, uh, at least of the year, uh, £121,000 minimum uh, is what they make, average, every single year. That's before you extra count in uh, the private work that they do. That's before you count in any overtime that they do, before you count in any sort of, you know, call-out emergency work that they do. And they all do lots of that. So I think it would be reasonable to suggest, quite easily, that these people, these consultants, will make around 200000 without too much difficulty. It's difficult work. They're very highly trained people. And yes, they are dealing with life and death. However, they're not dealing with life and death today. Not in the NHS anyway. Some of them will be working privately because they're being allowed to by the BMA, the British Medical Association, which is, of course, their union. So the man who was supposed to operate on you today has taken the day away. He's decided you will not have the treatment that you have paid for because you are a taxpayer. You will not have the treatment you've been promised uh, because he's decided to go on strike. But he's still making money on the side. Don't worry about that. You don't need to have any sympathy for him though because he hasn't got to sell the Lamborghini any time soon. These people are a disgrace. Uh, they're a stain on the NHS. And they're one of the reasons why the NHS doesn't work properly. And the idea that they say they're doing it because they want to save the NHS is quite frankly insulting. Any doctor worth his salt and i know plenty don't go on strike no they do not junior doctors don't need to we saw that junior doctor talking to julie hartley brewer just last week claiming that he didn't have enough money to buy lunch turned out him and his wife collectively run about 300 grand just nonsense just extremists just lefties who want to bring down the government instead of working to save people and the nhs i think we should just sack them all start again Let's talk instead to Michelle, who's in London. Hi, Michelle.
8: Good morning. Morning. Right. What can Great I do for you? As usual. Thank you. Mike, I had a letter. I'm a cancer survivor. I've got a lot of illnesses. Right. I had a letter six months ago to tell me I've got an appointment today. Mm. I went there this morning. Um, I waited and I didn't see my reference number up on the board. And right. I thought, well, that's weird. Um, they didn't come out to half past eight, 20 to nine. Right. Then the machine had to, uh, she said, um, oh, the machine's got to like heat up, you oh. know, the computers, before right. she could check. Oh, yeah. And apparently my appointment was cancelled because my consultant is outside striking. Brilliant. Yeah.
5: Unbelievable. And so And what? And can I ask mean, what you were supposed to have done?
8: I was meant to have my um, arthritis, my rheumatoid arthritis checked. Right. And um, my osteoporosis levels, you know, my bone yeah, levels yeah. checked. Right. And because my bone levels are really low. Right. But, Mike, I'm going to tell you, when I went in there, right, there is a table in the UCH, mm. in the foyer. Yeah. It is about, it's massive. It's like about four wallpaper tables. Right. And they've got teas, coffees, bananas, oranges, apples, all the pastries you can think of. Right. And that's that all for the strikers. For the strikers? Right, yeah.
5: You should go out and find your bloke and go, I've come to see you and see what he says.
8: If I would have had my coffee this morning, Mike, I would have gone mad. But all the rushing getting there, because I don't like being late for appointments. But the thing is, I I would have started, I would have said, Well, with all the technology, where's my email? Where's my texts? Where's my phone call? And it was just, Well, the consultant's on strike. But you want to see the table of food that they've got. Tea, coffee. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't that? That's unbelievable. I thought it was a That's shocking, call. isn't
5: it? Shocking. I mean, anybody can have sympathy with these bozos is beyond me. Michelle, listen, I hope they get it sorted. I hope they give you another appointment, and I hope that you can get what it is that you paid for, what you need from the NHS. We pay for it. You know, they take about a quarter of everybody's income tax to give to the NHS. So don't call it free, because it ain't free. Uh, it might be free for people who come here from another country, it might be free for people who've never done a day's work in their life, but it's not free for people who pay tax. I'm afraid. And if you think, as a consultant doctor, that you can mess people like Michelle around without any uh, kind of recognition and without any kind of um, you know, result, I'm afraid you're barking up a very, very badly wrong tree because you will be punished for this. You should be punished for it. You should not be doing it. It's absolutely disgraceful. Uh, but if you're dealing with people who tell you, I can't do anything yet, I've got to warm up the computer, what chance have you got? What a collection of dimwits. Well done, guys. This is Talk TV.
4: On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
5: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. So much going on today. There's an awful lot of you want to talk to me. We will get to as many of you as we can. Please do keep your calls coming in 0344 499 1000, of course. uh, A lot of the papers this morning, uh, front page news, an awful lot of video footage, of course, as well, uh, of the Wagner boss who crossed Vladimir Putin. Uh, The word is that Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin, head of the Wagner mercenary group, was on the passenger list of an aircraft that crashed in central Russia yesterday. Day. Let's talk now to Mary Djevsky, foreign affairs columnist at The Independent. Uh, we also hear at the moment Russian security forces on high alert. Uh, we've got um, uh, Prigozhin supposedly uh, being named as one of the members of that plane's passenger list, as we said. Um, and the Kremlin was plotting to replace Wagner in Africa, is also a story in the Times today. Mary, very good morning to you. Welcome.
0: Good morning to you.
5: Thank you very much indeed. I mean, there are a couple of things I suppose to, to to ask the question of at the beginning. I mean, an awful lot of video footage of this particular plane crash, which considering it happened in quite a rural part of Russia is maybe surprising. I don't know what you think about that. Some people in Ukraine rejoicing at the news of of, uh, of, of his death. However, some suggesting, well, maybe the story isn't true and he's really sneaked off to Argentina and is living a happy life there because he really gets on quite well with Vladimir Putin. Um, and, and And finally... Is there likely to be some reprisal being planned by the Wagner Group?
0: Well, all of those are very, very good questions. I mean, I have to (laughs) say that when I first saw the footage, um, it did occur to me that um, where this plane had come down was not exactly um, in the middle of anywhere and why there should be... such graphic video footage, ah. um, so apparently close to the site. Um, you know, it does raise questions because, as you say, this is this is not exactly um, somewhere where um, lots of people would actually be walking no.
5: through. And because not so, only have they got the plane falling out of the sky, but they've got the burning wreckage on the ground. And I mean, I've covered plane crashes, uh, particularly ones that happen in in quite loosely, you know, populated parts of the world, and and you know, people don't get to the scene that quickly quite often.
0: No, absolutely. So, you know, th- th- that is a gigantic question. Um, I think a second question as to whether um, Prigozhin has has really been killed or not, um, you know, that th- that is also a very good question. I mean, his name was on the passenger list for that particular plane, mm. but there are people who say, well, actually, he he was always very conscious of security, and um, he was travelling in a, apparently in a convoy of two planes, um had he possibly switched to the other plane um at the last moment? Um has he been spirited out of the country as you know as, uh, as has been suggested, you can't rule out the fact that in a matter of days, weeks, even years, um the guy may sh- show up somewhere else. Yeah. But of course, you know, sometimes the most obvious um the most obvious answer Happens to be the right answer, and you know I'm of quite a sort of contrarian, sceptical disposition. Yes. Um, but I have to say that um, the idea that if not Putin, then um, senior members of the Russian defence establishment, who were actually the main targets of Prigozhin's mm. criticism, um, that um, you know that really does look. Like the most plausible, following the um, very uh, the rather strange, bizarre um, mutiny by Prigozhin against the defence top brass, he insisted it wasn't against Putin personally, but that was exactly two months before um, his plane appears mm. to have been, um, if not shot out of the sky, then sabotaged.
5: Yes. And so if there were to be a sort of revenge from the Wagner group perhaps being plotted, it might not be against Putin, in other words. It might, might be against the other sort of army military chiefs.
0: It might very well be against be against them. And of course, it's, it's very, very hard to gauge because um, Prigozhin himself and Wagner appeared to have a degree of popular support in Russia that really had never been suspected or heard of. And we saw that in the first stages of the mutiny, um, when it appeared that it was possible for them to take over the central command headquarters of the Russian armed forces operating in Ukraine in Rostov-on-Don in the south of Russia, that they were able to progress up the main motorway towards Moscow, um, about two-thirds of the way, and in doing so encountered absolutely no, um, no opposition, no resistance, except very briefly close to the outset from the Russian Air Force. Um, and there has been a suggestion which is not It seems to me a fairly reasonable suggestion that actually it was the Air Force who'd lost pilots because the Prigozhin people Fired back at the planes from the Russian airports mm. that were targeting them on the on, uh, during their mutiny, and um, Putin admitted soon afterwards that they 'd lost pilots he didn 't say how many um, but you know that there is um, there is a motive there mm. both ways
5: yes. Interesting. Um, one final question for you, just on something else in Russia, um, our, because it's one of our own uh, journalists that we talk about, Evan Gershkovich uh, from Wall yes. Street Journal. He's been held since March on espionage charges uh, by a Moscow courts. He was due to uh, have his release supposedly um, set up for August the 30th next week, but they've now said they're extending his um, imprisonment for another three months. So, so it's bad news for his family and, and for him, of course, but... Um, Difficult to say when this will end for him.
0: It's very, very difficult um, because there have been tantalising suggestions over the last month of um, back-channel talks between Mm. the Russians and the Americans about possible swaps. Um, And one of those swaps, which was pretty well confirmed, um, appeared to involve a Russian citizen who's detained in Brazil. And of course, having a third country involved complicates everything. Um, but this apparently fell through, maybe because of because Brazil didn't want to cooperate, maybe because um, the, what, Russia, what, what, what the US was offering in return wasn't enough for Russia. Um, but it always seemed to me from the beginning that the the end of this was going to be some sort of exchange and that um, Evan Gershkovich unfortunately um, was as much in a position of a a hostage, a pawn in this bigger game rather than having been accused and risking imprisonment for the charges of espionage that he was arrested on. Yes,
5: I think that's right. Um, Good to talk to you, Mary. Thank you very much indeed. Mary Dujeski, Foreign Affairs Correspondent of The Independent there on the news Sad news today that Evan Gershkovich uh, is going to be held for a further three months by the Russians uh, on espionage charges. They've never really uh, backed up at all. Uh, he's a reporter, of course, with the Wall Street Journal, which is part of our group here at uh, News UK. And the sooner uh, that he can get back to civilization the better, I think. So uh, lots of back-channel work going on there. Uh, but our thoughts very much with him uh, and with his family. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk to Kelly J. Keane, founder of Standing for Women. There's plenty to talk to her about. We've got loads of your calls to take as well. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. As you would expect, uh, the cloud ceiling has lifted slightly. It was very gloomy this morning, a bit of rain uh, in London. I don't know what it's like where you are, but uh, uh, the rain seems to have passed. It seems to have gone away. And there's a little bit of blue sky peeking through. I mean, it's still August, by the way. You know, we should be still having a bit of a uh, decent summer. Uh, it's bank holiday weekend, I think, this weekend as well, isn't it? Bank holiday Monday. What does that mean? Oh, it means the trains probably won't be running very well. Um, and there'll probably be another doctor's strike. Oh, no! well, there is another doctor's strike. It's today, isn't it? Uh, so does that mean they have a doctor's strike Thursday, Friday? Yeah, two days for the consultants so they don't have to work. And then it's Saturday. <laughs> they work then. Sunday, great. Monday, five days they get. So if you're a consultant doctor and you happen to be on strike, I would dearly love to have a weird conversation with you about how you justify making sure that at least a million procedures now have not been done on the NHS thanks to your selfishness, because apparently 200,000 a year isn't enough for you. Shocking. If you see a doctor on a picket line, um, just go up to him and say, any chance I could see you for a problem I've got with my wrist? You know, what do you think? Can you fix it? Or are you, oh, you're on strike. Oh, I see. Thought you'd, you know, signed some kind of Hippocratic oath to do no harm and to help people. Sorry? Not today. No. Why? You don't make enough money. Oh, well, how much do you make? How much? 200,000. It's not enough. I mean, I know Porsche doesn't come cheap these days, but still... There we are. Let's talk to Kelly J. Keene, a woman who knows a thing or two about standing up for something she believes in. She's the founder of Standing for Women. A couple of stories around today and this week as well uh, where the Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan, um, has said that school transgender advice may not go far enough. We had the ludicrous story from that preschool up in Hull where they were showing children pictures uh, in a book which had um, what, could, what were described as pride granddads dressed in um, bondage gear because they thought that was a good idea for four-year-olds. Just bizarre. Um, Meanwhile, um, the Tavistock Clinic has approved a sex operation for a a young person, well, a a, a 22-year-old, we should say, uh, who basically has got so many different mental health conditions and who cannot read or write. Let's find out what's going on. Kelly J, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome.
9: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
5: Yeah, not at all. Um, This Tavistock Clinic story is a bit weird. I mean, when I first saw it, I thought, hang on a minute, I thought they shut the Tavistock Clinic down. Um, but I guess they haven't. They've only shut a bit of it down.
9: Yeah, they ju- they shut the bit um, apparently for the more vulnerable patients who are being ushered through this uh, nonsensical uh, medical scandal
8: yeah.
9: um, and medical harm. But campaigners, uh, certainly, sort of Sue and Marcus Evans, uh, who used to both work at the Tavistock, whistleblowers. Um, they've been talking about this for a long time. That actually, it's vulnerable adults also that need protecting. I mean, look, my view is if if you want to have your body altered and have healthy body parts cut off, then I think the prerequisite for that is to have mental health issues. I don't think anybody arrives at that who doesn't have some significant issues in their life. Um, but in this case, it's particularly stark. And, I mean, when are we going to put some of these um, criminal medical staff in the dock? Because it just seems to me that... They have got a way... If, if I did this to a child, if I did this to my own child, um, or somebody in my care, or a teacher did this in a school, I'm pretty sure we'd be at the point of saying, this person needs arresting. Yet, if they do it at the Tavistock Clinic, if they medically harm people, uh, children and vulnerable adults, apparently it's fine because yeah. uh, it's, it's sort of research and progress.
5: That's a really good point, actually, because what do you think would happen if you turned up, say, with a, I don't know, 12-year-old child into a GP surgery and said, look, we've been having a long discussion about this and me and my daughter have decided that she wants to become um, a man and therefore I'm recommending that she, you know, basically has all sorts of surgery to ensure that that can happen. What do you think they would say?
9: Well, I'm hoping I'd be referred very, very quickly to the police (laughs) um, for sort of uh, uh, neglect, abuse and and actively harming my child. Uh, It just it beggars belief really that that anybody could sign this off, like anybody could sign this off, let alone really uh, horrendous doctors um, Mm. and people that are just in it for money. But these are people paid by us to take care of us, um, and they don't seem to be able to do that. And I think it's time we, uh, at the very least, revoke licences, but I'd certainly like to see some criminal um, action in this field.
5: And who are the people who think that you're wrong? Because those who say that actually that should be allowed can't surely believe those actual words that they say can't actually think that encouraging children to actively harm their own bodies is a good thing
9: well no because those same same people i'm sure are very much against um pro anorexia websites and uh, they wouldn't advocate at all for teachers saying to a girl with anorexia who's 14, yes, you are fat, let's get you a nice gastric band. So I think anybody who says that it's it's OK to allow children to be medically harmed, or in this case, this vulnerable adult to be medically harmed, I think they are stuck in a, sort of an ideological uh, cul-de-sac, really, that they can't come out of. I don't genuinely think anybody thinks it's all right for this kid. They but can't. Clearly, I mean, somebody's yeah, doing it.
5: I mean, you work much more um, hard in this area than, than most people do, and, and you, at some cost to your own safety, sometimes, you know. But I think we all sit around going, you know, thanking you for what you do, but also thinking, how is this actually happening? I mean, I said this to um, somebody yesterday. We were, we were talking about that crazy story from Hull where the preschool kids were being shown a book with men dressed in, um, you know, mm. bondage gear. And the teachers told the parents who objected that they were bigots. And I'm going, sorry, who's pushing this? Who is actually who is yeah. actually saying what it is that, that that this is the right thing to teach four-year-olds? Who's, who's pushing it and why are they pushing it?
9: Well, there's many answers to that question. One is stupid people, um, so incompetent cowards are helping push this forward. Unthinking people, people that are told, oh, this is an act of kindness and they go along with it. Um, Unfortunately, it's a lot of women who go along with this. Um, In that particular book, which I have a copy sitting on my shelf, there is also double mastectomy scars. Uh, There is also a box of dog-pup toys um, on the high shelf um which i think is a little bit of a nod to men in rubber fetish gear dressed as dogs. Oh, yeah. So that book is that book is all levels of wrong. Oh, my
5: god.
6: Um,
9: but look i i think this is a case of uh, the dereliction of duty. Um i know we're going to talk about education in a minute but there has been no guidance and so these people are left really just grappling with issues that they feel they don't understand in which case they get somebody else in to talk to children which is insane. Like, if I didn't understand something and my children needed to know about it, I would learn about it. I wouldn't say outsource that particular sort of uh, knowledge to somebody else.
5: No, exactly right. And I mean, the, the, the Tavistock and Portman NHS Foundation Trust, when they were asked about this particular case of this individual, who is 22, they said this, which is more or less not worth saying. We cannot publicly discuss the situation of any individual patient. We can say that no surgery is available under the age of 18. Well, well, that's not the question. The question is, what about the 22-year-old with learning difficulties and or mental health issues? They say, where complex or additional needs, such as mental health problems, communication or learning difficulties are identified, more assessment consultations may be appropriate prior to any form of treatment pathway being agreed. Well... Um, I mean,
9: what if that kid was going and saying, I really hate my ears, could you cut them off? Yeah. I really don't like my hand. I feel like my little finger is is a burden to me and, and totally, I don't identify as somebody with... 10 fingers and toes. It's just... I. How do you get to a point where you're supposed to be, uh, often a well-paid, as you just commented, a, a well-paid, educated person yeah. who is suckered into this idea that it's a good idea to cut off the healthy body parts of anyone, mm. let alone somebody uh, who's 22 and incredibly vulnerable?
5: Yeah, it makes absolutely... I, I've started calling them reality deniers, not just in this field, but in all the other fields where, you know, they look at something and don't see what everybody else sees. And they kind of go, no, 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 that's not what you mean. I, what mm. you mean is, is this. And let's go to um, Gillian Keegan and, and find out what you make of what she said. She basically said, you know, there's a lot of conversations going on, isn't there, about the law that will basically tell schools how they should deal with this issue, how they should allow social transitioning or not.
9: Look, I've been following this for a long time, since 2015, and I am regularly astounded at the lack of single-sex provision in schools and the fact that this stuff has really gripped teachers. And I think we also have to look at teaching colleges... Um, and university courses where this stuff is being instilled into new teachers and new teachers are cheaper so therefore a lot of schools have new teachers then the conversation stifled in the classroom um and stifled within the sort of the curriculum guidance the government just need to be a little bit strong on this if the government want can do when i was at school we had like heroin um advert uh, uh, sort of advert campaigns yeah. and we had like anti-smoking stuff now i'm pretty sure It's it's not allowed. Nobody is allowed to smoke in schools. I'm pretty sure they've stopped smoking in staff rooms in schools also. Why can't they just stop this? Like, why do you need a law in order to say to schools, it's really harmful, really harmful to teach this absolute crazy stuff in school. You just it's just a no. And if you are found to be teaching it, if you're found to be Erasing the single sex provisions for girls and boys in schools, um, then I'm afraid you will face some consequences. Like, how is that? Why is that mm. difficult?
5: I know. It doesn't seem difficult. It seems pretty straightforward to me. But no doubt we'll be talking about this for a while. Kelly J, thank you very much indeed. Kelly J Keane, founder of Standing for Women, there. Um, with all of the strangeness that goes on on every single day of the year now in this country, we need people like Kelly J to stand up for stuff uh, because she sees things before everybody else does. But it really is odd, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number to call to get through. We'll take some calls coming next on Talk TV.
9: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk
0: Radio.
5: If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.